0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently, and that's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Game one, NBA Finals. Who you got?
1: Uh, the Suns at home, you know, with all the unknowns with Giannis and what's going on, I I, I, I think it'd be silly to to bet against the Suns at home uh, who or who are healthy and you know this has been a postseason that seems to be defined by injuries and uh, both these teams have they've had their own set of injuries obviously and uh, but they've also benefited from you know the Suns playing the Lakers without LeBron and AD and Jamal Murray for Denver and quiet clippers and you look at the and he's been out himself, but you look at the bucks and, uh, you know, whether it was Trey young and the Hawks or, uh, you know, situations that, uh, I don't know that Miami was hurt or missing people, but it just seems like both teams have been able to survive and get through this thing with injuries. I mean, the nets didn't have Kyrie or late and, uh, didn't have James Harden either. So it's just been a year defined by injuries, but I think right now the Suns are probably the most prepared and healthiest to win this thing. Uh, I'm sure that's probably what the experts feel too, but uh, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm really, really hoping that Giannis does, is healthy enough to play because I think this is going to be a great matchups. We're going to really see coaching staff really work to try to take away what each likes to do. I'm actually kind of excited about the series, and uh, I don't really have any... Uh, you know, any skin in any one of these teams in game, but uh, I, I think it looks for a great matchup and two very, very different teams. I
2: was wondering if you saw a little parallels between what you did at BYU and rebuilding that program and what the Suns have done.
1: Yeah, you know what? I, I mean, most of my life, uh, from high school to junior college to at the Division One level, everything's kind of been a rebuild. And the one thing that really impresses me about Monty Williams like a lot of the NBA coaches there, there is a great culture there. There's great energy. You've got young players. None of them have really done this before, never been in a finals. And if it, it all, and it always takes some leadership, you know, I mean, for, for every team I've had, there's been that guy. When I was at BYU, when we built that thing, really, you know, McKelly was Wesley was a young man that was kind of the heart and soul of that team. And, and, and Chris Paul's the heart and soul of the, of the Suns team. And, uh, and, re- and really both. I mean, I, I think back in the early 70s, the Bucks won a title. Uh, and, you know, the Suns have never won one. So, yeah, they, these are two major rebuilds. Bud has, has done a really good job, and they've put in some new pieces. So I, I really like the matchups. I mean, I was sitting there the other day just thinking, you know, who's going to guard who and what's going to happen. And, uh, and I'm thinking, I'm wondering, you think P.J. Tucker guards Booker? I mean, I'm thinking that'd be a good matchup for the Bucks, and and uh, and you know how they're going to do holiday guards, Chris Paul. You know, some strong guys that they really haven't seen uh, that kind of girth and size. So I think defensive for the Bucks to win this thing, especially if Giannis is hurt, they're going to have to really defend, and it's never an easy thing to do with all the pick and rolls and between Chris Paul and and Devin Booker. I mean, they're going run all of that, and I and I think. The Bucks kind of defensively play, have played a little bit differently with teams they've played. I just, you know, you can't sag on these guys. Both Booker and uh, and Chris Paul are such great mid-range shooters that that's where the advantage I, I think comes with with the Suns and and the fact that they seem to be pretty healthy.
0: So watching uh, Monty Williams' uh, press conference this weekend. Um... I wasn't really struck by it because I'd already seen him do this, but it just kind of reinforced, you know, he's just uh, kind of thoughtful, calm, measured. And, and Steve, you're a little older than PK and I, but you're not that much older than us. And I think all of us grew up with coaches, and maybe it was something about, you know, the Depression and World War II, and if our coaches didn't go through them, they were raised by people who did and mentored by people who did. But that old-school yelling coach with the whistle – like you just can't get further away from that than where pro sports coaching, especially the NBA, has gone now. What is that? Just because everything has changed? Were were those coaches a product of those times? Would something different have worked better then? I mean, it just it's just night and day.
1: You know, it is, that's a great thought um, because I you know I kind of grew up with a, f- a few coaches that were kind of yellers and screamers, and yet I had a. I had a college coach, Tim Tift, who no one in the, you know, in Utah, is going to know who he is, but but uh, he he was he was my coach there, and he he was he was like a Monty Williams, you know, I mean, he he was he was really technically had a high basketball IQ, was a great offensive coach, and uh, but always treated us with respect. I mean, he held us accountable, but he did it in a way that wasn't demeaning, and 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 certainly in the NBA today, it is a players' league, but I. That can be the connotation. There can be well, yeah, the players run the league and they do what they want to do. Well, I mean, may, maybe in some situations, but at the end of the day, if if you're a guy that can't communicate with young people and and you can't share your vision in a positive way, you don't last long in the NBA. You just don't. Well, I mean, and and obviously, people stay in the league winning, but when you look at changes and coaching changes, and there's lots of them. Uh, how, how do guys that lose jobs, get jobs back so quickly. Well, all of them kind of today, for the majority of the coaches, have that kind of uh, mindset, and, uh, and and that's kind of how they think today. And I, I think it's a, it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think the fact that the league has changed, that they understand that uh, in order to be successful, and I think in anything long-term, I don't think berating and being demeaning and being spiteful and treating people that way ever long-term works. Right? It doesn't work in personal relationships. It doesn't work in marriages. It doesn't work in business. And yes, we could probably find people that, you know, didn't treat people nicely that were successful. But were they really successful? <laughs> you know, in the end of the day, if everyone despises you and is afraid of you, that no, I don't care what your record is. That's not success at any level. And so, yeah, I I love that thought because. Uh, Monty Williams is, is a guy that you just you just want to play for him, you know. And there's a lot of coaches like that in the NBA that they're respectful, and, and that doesn't mean they can't be intense and get upset and get after you. But there is a there is a respect player coach that uh, sometimes at the high school I really see. I used to really see it at the high school level. Oh my goodness, uh, where guys would just be rape people, and uh, I've I've had good examples. I tell, I, I remember. So I do remember my first year at Clovis West High School. I just graduated. I would taken a job there, teaching and coaching. I was—we only had ninth and tenth graders. It was a brand new school, and so anybody that could play was with on the varsity. And I had the JV team, and I never forget uh, a young man really kind of just defied me and said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And just started going off, and, and I just kind of lost my mind. And immediately I started—I kind of started running at the kids. <laughs> And I mean I'm probably 23 years old and I and he had said something he had cursed at me and said something and I just took after him and he started running and you can visualize this me chasing this young man <laughs> around the gym so I cornered him and I had both hands above his head you know how you lean on a wall and and uh, and I I can't even remember what I did but it just for a moment I thought oh you know I I realized what I had done and I had lost my mind here as a 23-year-old new JV coach in high school. And, and, and I got through it. And fortunately, in, in today's world, I probably got fired the next day and got called in the principal's office. But never, nobody ever knew about it. But that was, you know, there are times when you feel like doing things you shouldn't. But I, I think I, I just had good mentors and people around me that helped me to, to be smart about those things and to treat people the right way. And uh, so I love the fact that you brought that up about Monty, because he does seem to have a great relationship and a rapport with his guys.
2: Okay, but there's some times that maybe you need to go off, and I'm thinking San Diego State, Arujo doesn't block out, I think, a guy named Joe Mann. You take him out in about two minutes into the game, and one of your assistants, who went on to a fairly good uh, success as a head coach, uh, really lit into him, and I think that young man got the message.
1: Yes, he did. No, and listen, we, you. there are lots of those moments. There's no question. And uh, I've had those moments with assistant coaches, <laughs> you know, where, uh, you know, sit down, be quiet, and probably a little bit different verbiage, but whatever. No, I mean, you have those. And, and you have to have a combination of that. And uh, I, I think you do have to – there are times you do have to get after guys, but you do it in a positive way. You come back to them. They know – You know, you can discipline people and you can get after guys if they know that they trust you. And I think that the situation is that you can't just all of a sudden become somebody that you're not, and then all of a sudden you're saying inappropriate things and you're losing your mind when, you know, they've never seen you like that. And that's why relationship building is so important in teams because absolutely, I mean, there's hundreds of times where – uh in practice or in games or i kind of lost my mind but it was always a situation that i was reinforced by you know the love you have for the kid you love his passion you got to do this we can't win with that so yeah absolutely i mean those things do happen i'm not suggesting that we never discipline or that we never get after guys because you have to but you got they gotta know you've got to have a relationship with people to do that you know what i mean you just can't all of a sudden be somebody you've never been then you lose all respect and all trust with whoever you're coaching.
0: Steve, you coached for a long time. J.C. Ball, BYU, Fresno State. The name, image, and likeness thing has been coming for a while. And now the first few days in, there's deals cut almost immediately. Where is this going? Can you give us one or two unintended consequences of this? Because we're sure there's going to be a lot of them.
1: Well, look, I think mean, the first thing is how you legislate it and how you administer it. And uh, there's so many things that they still don't even know that are going to happen. I mean, we just – you know, and I, I'm not an expert on this. I've read what you've read and uh, trying to get an understanding. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think it's going to impact that many athletes, to be honest with you, when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I'm sure the really elite athletes, that there, that there are going to be some – you know, there's a benefit to them in some situations, but if if young people are thinking that people now are just going to line up and want to give them money at a time when uh, we've gone through so many things uh in life here with COVID and businesses going out of business and this and that, that I, I think it would be foolish to think that that there are going to be a lot of student athletes that actually really benefit from this. I, I suspect there will be. You're, you're open. Uh, Pandora's box here where we don't know what the consequences are and certainly I I get how the legal system came to the point where they are uh, but I'm just not sure. I'm guarded watching this to see how it's going to play out and there's so many unknowns and and maybe because of my conservative nature and never really, I mean you know what, it's true I mean, these young men I, I remember, I mean it's different today even than when I was coaching I mean, you couldn't buy a kid a meal. You, you couldn't get a milkshake for him. You, you couldn't send them home when they had, their parents were sick or ill. I mean, there were so many restrictions that everything was a violation. Everybody said, well, oh, yeah, we, they run a clean Nobody was running a clean program because there was unintended things that happened in every program that led to sometimes more serious you know, ramifications. But at the end of the day, you, you look back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, 90s the student athlete was wasn't given a whole lot you know i mean yes there was opportunities and you could say oh they got an education you know and all of those things but there were a lot of things we couldn't do that made it really difficult now all of a sudden we've gone full circle where the perception is that they can be paid they're going to make money they can get have you know contracts with uh businesses and things and anything that whether it's jerseys or likeness of their jersey or their face or whatever it might be, man, it, and I, I know this is something I've been thinking about and a lot of smart people have kind of gone forward with this thing, but I have no idea how this is going to play out other than I, my gut feeling tells me that it really is not going to impact that many people. Now, I, you know, a year from now we have this conversation and you see, you are dead wrong, but for me, from the outside looking in, I just don't see how many young people are really going to benefit from it.
2: I wonder at a place like BYU, if they could benefit it more than other schools because of the religious connection... Uh, You look at these guys when they go on into the pro ranks. You can't drive around. You may have noticed it because I know you spent some recent time here with your son along the Wasatch Front. You see pictures of Taysom Hill and Daniel Sorensen of the Chiefs and of the Saints. I don't even know what they're advertising, but I see their faces on the billboards, and there is that connection because of the religious connection. And certainly we understand a kid like Jimmer. If this would have been around in Jimmer's day, yeah. My goodness, I mean he would own <laughs> half the town uh, so exactly. that's that's a high level exception. but I wonder because of that the lDS connection, if that could pay off a little bit more because of there'd be a closer association with that
1: kid i, I think there's there, there could be because there is a connection not just as a student athlete but at the, they share the same faith and and it's a very connected group of people worldwide. And so, yeah, I, I think that possibly could connect. And uh, they have passionate fans, and all schools have really passionate fans. But most schools, I mean, you know, if you're at Notre Dame, I'm not sure that every young man that is a student that goes to Notre Dame is a Catholic, but there is a connection there as well, you know, where, but that, that's a different situation. Whereas in Utah, the, the, a lot of the membership of the church lives in, in the West, and, and specifically a lot of members in the state of Utah where BYU is. And so, yeah, I, I could see that where there's such passionate fans that they may look for ways to, yeah, you know what, uh, I, I think we support this young man. We'd like to have him represent our country, our company. So I could see that happening more there than, than I would at Fresno State where I live and watch. Right. And, uh, and there's some high-level Aaron Judge playing for the Yankees who was, was a baseball player there. He had Paul George playing basketball, Derek Carr playing football. Those were all high-end you know, uh, professional athletes, but I, I don't see that community re- at, at any time really being in a position to do the things that they're asking them to do because it's it just they didn't get that kind of support. So most of their notoriety money was made at the next level. and uh, But you never know. I mean, I, I know there's two twin basketball players from Fresno State who have, like, a gazillion followers on Twitter and this and that, and they're trying to, to make money out of this thing. So... I guess it can happen in every community, but there's a big difference, for instance, in the two communities that I live in terms of the relationship between fans and players. And uh, and certainly I could see that at BYU uh, because of the church, not because the church has anything to do with it, but because there's such a connection.
0: I think it just comes down to that most state universities, most public schools are naturally geographically based. And you look at Army, Navy, Air Force, Notre Dame, and BYU, those five have far-flung fan bases that are digitally connected. They just, they have to be. Yes. And be, once you have the digitally connected fan base, you've got digital businesses appealing to them, and those businesses may want players from those schools in a way that fill-in-the-blank state university. Yeah, I know Ohio State's got a national rep, but most of the state universities just don't.
1: Yeah know I, I i really like that thought i hadn't really actually given that thought where they could benefit but from that digital businesses you're right and and you know and and young people they're prepared for that i mean they they live in a digital world they they know the digital world and uh so you have two groups that can connect because of that and uh you know that, that's a great thought david i mean i i think that uh that, that is an area that would, would bring people together. And, you know, no generation has been more digitally in tune than the one we live with today.
2: One of the things that makes me a little bit concerned is that some of these guys who don't come from much all of a sudden may get some money, and then you get a bunch of hanger-oners that are just going to try to pilfer it and all of a sudden going to buddy up to these guys and because they, they already get it to an extent, but now it could be even more and I, I'm concerned the kid is going to be young, obviously, and he's going to get this money, potentially, because you see it at the pro rank. But now it happens even earlier and it may cause some problems. You see that?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure that presidents of schools and athletic directors and I and I know most schools are supportive and, and I've listened to people who are supportive of it. But they better have things in place. <laughs> it, it is big as an organization as the N C two A has been with all the rules, and I'm not suggesting a hundred more rules because there there have been so many N C two A violations throughout the years at you know, most universities at some time or another. And this really opens the door to uh inappropriate things that could potentially happen. And so I think more than anything the responsibility lies with the institution. And they better have things in place. They better have staff in an athletic organization. They better have staff, uh, you know, with uh, the booster groups. And they better, you know, they certainly have got to monitor this in ways that they've never done before. And everything's so new. And I'm sure they're going to learn. And, And probably there are going to be some mistakes and there's going to be some inappropriate things happen because they already have been happening. And now we're opening the door to it and saying it's okay. How do we define that? Uh, how are we going to legislate it? Uh, how, how are we going to be judicious about this? And when somebody does something, what are, you know, how is the NC2A going to be involved in this and monitoring it? And, or maybe it's just the institutions that monitor it. Well, that, that opens a door that you know, could really, really lead to some inappropriate things happening. So I can't imagine an institution, and it's happened so quickly, so they haven't had a lot of time, but uh, to, to, to keep things in order. They, they'd have to have now a group of people at the, each institution that are monitoring it and managing it, besides the kids who need to be educated. And I'm sure right now when school starts, everybody's going to be completely educated. Maybe they've already started doing it now, but every student athlete has to be educated to what, what's appropriate, what isn't, because anybody that turns an eye blind eye to that is, is going to lead themselves down a road where all of a sudden the NCAA is going to be way more involved in, in the judicial part of this where schools are in trouble and, and it wasn't maybe meant, it just had inappropriate monitoring and listen, I I have had a lot of experience uh, with the NC2A when I was at Fresno when uh, I met with the NC2A for things that had happened there and uh, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience, it, it wasn't about anything that I had never been, been, but it was something that I was they had to manage and fix and and i know what that feels like to sit in a room with a bunch of attorneys and presidents and everybody else to talk about how we're going to monitor this and now we have something everybody seems to be really excited about and, and i don't have any issues with with kids being compensated for their likeness and if it's appropriate hey good for them i mean that's good for them and good for the institution but uh, you better monitor it and, and, and it better be done in an appropriate way otherwise we're going down a road here that uh, could be pretty destructive to people, to programs, and to businesses.
0: Steve, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we will revisit this down the line. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes, yeah. and we will talk to you again next week.
1: Thanks, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Steve
0: Cleveland, our basketball insider, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. His take on the finals coming up in 30 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.